0: Well, we're going to continue in on our series on faith at work this morning, uh, and as we jump in, I'll tell you guys, the week following the Super Bowl, one of my most favorite things to do uh, that week is to look at what were the most rated, most discussed Super Bowl commercials, all right? Now, the most rated, the one that got the most, uh, seeming to be the favorite from all of uh, those commercials last Sunday night was this one, the, Hind, uh, the Hyundai, not Hyundai, Hyundai, I don't know how to say that, uh, first date commercial with none other than uh, Kevin... Um, Kevin Hart, alright, here you go. Oh, you look good. Thank you. Hey! See the guy taking my little girl out, huh? Yep. Huh. You know what, why don't you go ahead and take my new car? Thanks, Pops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Boom. laughs> go ahead, baby. Watch this. Boom! Favorite spot? favorite girl. You messing with the world, daddy! I'm taking you home. Why? Car Finder on the Hyundai Genesis. Back so soon? Here you go, sir. Because a dad's got to do what a dad's got to do. Honey, what'd you guys do tonight? That commercial is so great, and as a dad who has a daughter who is about 15 years at the ripe age of 21 when she'll be able to have her first date, I look forward to the kind of technology that will exist, because if that exists today, I can't wait for another 15 years, all right? But I love that commercial, not just because I'm a dad, but I love that commercial because it highlights two things about work. One is there's an amazing amount of creativity that technology allows us to now have. The things that we can produce, the things that we can make possible are astonishing and amazing. Not only that, but I love that I think that that commercial gives us a little glimpse to another angle that we're going to look at in terms of this topic of faith at work this morning. And it's the topic not just of creativity, but of what we can produce, but it's the topic of the motivation behind why we produce things at all in work. That as you look at a Car Finder app for Hyundai and their car line now as it comes out, they're pushing a product that allows a blessing to dads of our entire country, right? The ability to helicopter, literally in that commercial's case, right, over their kids. A blessing that dads receive, maybe daughters don't necessarily as well, but really as you begin to think about work, one of the things we looked at last week is that the dignity of work lies in the creativity of what we can produce. And what we're going to look at this morning as we kind of walk back into the scriptures is why, what is the motivation behind what we produce? Not the what as we looked at last week, but the why. We're going to move from the product that gets produced to the motivation that causes us to produce anything at all. And it's going to be in that motivation that we're going to see God's divine dignity for human work this morning. That's where we're going to head this morning. And as we do that, one of the things I want to highlight for you guys is we're going to try to recenter a little bit back in the scriptures. I was thinking, in really, the, the, the two of the last three weeks, we've spent a lot of time, frankly, out of the scriptures. And the reason we've done that is really, as we think about the, the great disconnect between faith and work, one of the things that we've talked about is there's such a great shift in emphasis within our culture, within our worldview, that has so compartmentalized faith from work that really we've had to do a lot of work, sometimes, frankly, outside of the scriptures to really look at why that's the case, so that when we unfold the scriptures like we're going to continue to do this morning, that we're going to be able to more clearly see why the scriptures say what they say about work and what it means. So we're going to refocus back in on the scriptures, and really what I want us to do is see three things this morning. The cause of work, really what's the motivation behind work? Also the choice of work, how do we choose which job is the right one for us? And then lastly, the competency of work. How well ought we to be doing the job or the degree that we're going to have one day? The cause, the choice, and the competency of work. And really, as we highlight those themes for you, one of the things I want to highlight, and really one of the things I want to hit this morning is I think many of us, when we don't understand the cause or the motivation behind work, we therefore end up making a choice about work that is the wrong choice. Then, when we don't grasp or when we get the cause or the motivation behind work wrong, then we end up choosing a job or a vocation that is the wrong one for us for all the wrong reasons. Which is why for many as they come into and they enter the real world or they enter into vocations and professions, they find great disillusionment, great disappointment because they've missed the cause of work and they made a wrong choice about work. See, cause, choice, and competency, they're going to be all linked up this morning as we unpack this. And so what we're going to do as we jump in is we're going to start with the why of work. Not so much what we produce, but the why. What's the cause behind work? And as we do that, one of the clear passages that we've hit a lot this semester so far, it comes in Colossians chapter 3 that highlights the fact that the cause behind work is that we're to honor the Lord. Colossians chapter 3 verses 23 and 24 is a passage that we've looked at, but I want to highlight it again for you this morning because it's so vital. Notice Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Paul tells us this that whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. This passage is so vital. We've been in and out of this passage a lot this semester already because he starts out, he says, whatever you do, very few weeks ago, beginning in week one of the series, we said, whether you conceive of your work as that which is sacred or which is secular, what Paul does, he goes, no, 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 there's no dichotomy between the kinds of work that we have. There's not an overtly spiritual work and an overtly secular work. He says, no, no, no. Paul says, whatever vocation, whatever degree, whatever profession you're going to have, you ought to do it in a certain kind of way. Do it heartily. Do it literally with all that you have. Why? Because it's the Lord Christ whom you serve. But really as you think about your degree as you think about the classroom that you step into Monday morning and you're going to do some work tomorrow <laughs> if you go back to class or you've been doing it all weekend or as you eventually graduate and you step into the real world or if you've been in a profession 20 years that as you step in as you think of that arena that there is clearly an authority that's over you maybe it's a professor now maybe it's a boss right now and as you think about that authority over you you probably have all kinds of issues potentially with that authority they're clearly not perfect they're clearly not divine But one of the things that Paul will say is as you think about your workplace, as you think about your area of vocation or even the classroom right now, what you ought to do is you ought to conceive of it as an arena by which you can worship and you can follow the Lord. And so the classroom, the boardroom, the bedroom, the vocation, the workplace, all of those spheres and those arenas are over which Christ has jurisdiction. There's no area of your life that is removed from his authority and his dictatorship and his leadership in your life. Work is no different. Your degree and your profession is no different. That it is an area, it is an opportunity for you to worship your creator, God. And so it's no surprise as we begin this morning, the first cause, the first motivation behind our work is an opportunity to worship and to honor the Lord. We've hit this idea a lot so far in the last few weeks. But it's primary and it's the foundation that really your very vocation, your very degrees become an avenue and a trajectory and a venue for you to worship your creator, God, who was the first to work. So we looked back in Genesis chapter 1 and we saw the design, the divine design for human work because God was the first to work and he took the work as a great gift and he handed it off to Adam and Eve and to all humanity to continue to exercise in a partnership, not just as a communal partnership with humanity, but as a partnership with the divine creator God himself. And so that work is not something that God finds irrelevant to his purposes, but is very much tied into his cosmic purposes for the world. Work is vital. We've been looking at that over and over again. So it becomes a venue to honor the Lord. But here's where I want to take us this morning. Here's going to be the emphasis that we're going to have this morning as we unfold, that it is also an opportunity and it's a venue to benefit others in love. When you chose your degree or you chose your profession, here's my question for you. Who did you have in mind? When you chose your degree and you chose your profession, who primarily did you have in mind when you made that choice? If you're anything like me, my freshman year, and I chose my degree, and I looked at a career industry trajectory, I chose computer engineering for two reasons. One, I was a Trekkie, and I love Star Trek, all right? I wanted to do computer spaceship stuff. I kind of had that viewpoint, all right? Clearly not what's unfolded for me, all right? Number two, though, I was thinking about, number one, me, Okay? Uh, When I was a freshman coming in and I chose computer engineering, people who were graduating with a computer engineering degree from Texas A&M University at the time were getting fat signing bonuses. And I mean fat, right? By the time I graduated, the economy had shifted just a little bit and the signing bonuses were gone. All right, completely gone. But I chose a degree primarily because of me. I was thinking primarily about myself. And my question is, how about you? Did you choose your degree? Did you choose your profession because you were thinking primarily about yourself or who were you thinking about? It's interesting as Paul will take us in First Thessalonians, listen to this passage as he speaks about work. He says in First Thessalonians chapter four, and I want you to listen as he speaks about work, who is the who that he has in mind that is behind our work as a motivation? He says in First Thessalonians four, we urge you to excel still more in love and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And to attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward who? Outsiders and not be in any need. Is Paul's purpose for work so that you would have self sufficiency and not need anything ever again from anyone else? No. Paul sees the venue, the platform of work, your profession, your degree as a venue and an opportunity to excel still more in love, not for yourself but for someone else. Or put it this way later on, he'll say uh, that you would behave properly toward outsiders. At work, your vocation, your career is an opportunity for you to love and behave in a certain kind of way toward outsiders. It's not about you. It's absolutely huge for you to grasp that as you think about the cause of work, the motivation behind work, it's primarily not about you. It's about somebody else. It's about the city. It's about the community. It's about the country. It's about the community that you are a part of. It's not about you. But when we look at our degree and we think about our vocation primarily through a lens that's all about number one, myself, numero uno, then we get the entire thing wrong. When we get the cause of work wrong and therefore we end up making a choice about work that's wrong as well because we've gotten the whole thing skewed and we're off kilter, which is why we end up so disappointed and so disillusioned with work. So what I want to do for you guys is I want to highlight for you, if you and I begin to think of work the right way, then what ought to be the cause behind it? And for some of us, it's hard as we think about a degree or we think about our classroom, we think about a, a, a workplace right now. It's hard to think about how is this going to benefit anyone else? It may be hard to think through how does your task that you'll do actually lead to a benefit for someone else. And what I want to do is flip it upside down and show you how if everyone stopped working, (laughs) we would have utter chaos and we would take a step back into the dark ages. All right. I love this quote uh, from Lester DeCoster. This is what Lester says. Imagine that everyone quits working right now. Everyone just folds up. Everyone's done with employment and they all just bail on the workplace all universally as a city and as a community, what's going to happen? Civilist life quickly melts away. Food vanishes from the shelves. Gas dries up at the pumps. Streets are no longer patrolled, and fires burn themselves out. Communication and transportation services end, and utilities go dead. Those who survive at all are soon huddled around campfires, sleeping in caves, clothed in raw animal hides, and the difference between a wilderness and a culture is simply work. A few years ago, we were watching a TV show in which the power went out, and the whole TV show was about what happens to a civilization if power all of a sudden goes out in the modern era. No internet, no Facebook, no iPhone, ah, right? Death, <laughs> depression, right? What are you going to do, right? You have no idea what you do. I personally know I probably wouldn't survive more than probably like a week, probably. I don't know how to kill food. I don't know how to cook, all right? I would be in trouble really, really fast, all right? When I think about camping, I want to glamour camping. I'm all about glamping, all right? That's kind of my style, all right? Some of you are laughing, but you're that way too, and you know it, all right? But I would struggle. I'm not a farmer. I don't know how to work with my hands, all right? I got different skill sets, all right? That would be a little bit of a different thing for me to figure out. And so, as you think about a city, as you think about professions, as you think about our country, really, work benefits every single one of us. What's your favorite food? Then imagine that food that you pick up maybe at HEB or at a restaurant in town and imagine how many people worked so that that could have been created, grown, developed, processed, delivered, and served to you wherever you picked it up. Do you know how many people made that possible? Just so you love a little chocolate truffle, all right, on Valentine's, right, ladies, all right? How many people does it take to pull that off, all right? Not just one dude who's chivalrous and who loves you, all right? It takes a ton of people, all right? But the dude's going to take all the credit because that's what Valentine's Day is all about, okay? That's the case. As you think about work, it is all about the benefit to others and not yourself. Your degree, your vocation, your career is not primarily about you. It's about everyone else. And what you can do as a benefit to those that are around you, it's not primarily about your benefit. And when it becomes primarily about our benefit, not only do we lose out, but the civilization and the society loses out as well. And when you and I get the choice, or when you and I get the cause of work wrong, then we inevitably also get uh, the choice of work gone bad. All right. Now I'm gonna give you guys a quote. Uh, this comes from Dorothy Sayers, and this is: If you begin to imagine that you and I think that work is all about a paycheck, notice what happens quickly to work itself. She says this: that the essential modern heresy being that work is not the expression of man's creative energy in the serving of society, but only something one does in order to obtain money and leisure. She says, when you and I begin to think that work is only about a paycheck that we get or about leisure that we can get so that when we're not working, we can relax. When we begin to think that's the motivation or the primary benefit of work, we really miss the boat. She gives an example. and She says, doctors, therefore, then, if that's the case, they end up practicing medicine, not primarily to relieve suffering, the benefit of someone else, but to make a living, to receive a paycheck, to make life happen. And the cure of the patient becomes something that happens on the way. When you and I begin to think that money or what career can do for us is primary, then everyone else becomes secondary and the whole purpose of work, the dignity behind work is erased and it's lost and it's defaced. And so as you begin to think about your degree, as you begin to think about your work, let me say this, don't chase a job just for a paycheck. Do not chase a job just for a paycheck. Don't scan the economy and going, where can I make the most amount of money to be the most affluent? Because when you do that, you get the cause of work wrong and you also miss even how you're wired. And we'll talk about that in a minute. That pay and compensation is not the primary cause for work. But when we make it the primary cause for work, then we make a choice for work that's wrong for us. That sometimes the most paying jobs are really not the best job for you or how you're going to be of the greatest benefit to everyone else. We'll get to that in a minute. But when you and I make paycheck primary, we miss the cause of work and we make the wrong choice for work. And here's another idea. Many modern people seek a kind of salvation, self-esteem, and self-worth from career success. This leads us to seek only high-paying, high-status jobs and to worship them in perverse ways. But the gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves and secure our identity through work. For we are already proven and secure because of the gospel. It also frees us from a condescending attitude toward less sophisticated labor and from envy over more exalted work. All work now becomes a way to love the God who saved us freely and by extension, a way to love our neighbor, Tim Keller, Every Good Endeavor. See, for so many of us, we are so profoundly insecure that we are looking to determine our worth in so many different venues and places. For many of us, it's relationships, and so if we're single on Valentine's Day, for some of us, we're wondering, what is our worthwhileness? What is our status? What is our element of worth and our esteem? For many of you, you're looking at degrees and you're looking at careers, and you see them as a way to save your own profound insecurity. You see career as a way to determine that you are truly worthwhile so that everyone else can know what you can't convince yourself of. And when we see our degrees or we see our profession or our career as a venue and a platform for us to finally settle the question that dogs us all the time inwardly, which is, am I worthwhile? Am I important? Am I significant? Be very, very careful. Because when you get the cause of work wrong, you will make a choice of work that's wrong and then you will be disappointed, disillusioned, and still insecure, (laughs) Because the very thing that settles your worth once and for all is way more transformative than your career, and it's the gospel. That Jesus Christ would come in human flesh, that he would land himself on a cross, and that he would die in your place, showing you the greatest demonstration of love that any relationship will fail to accomplish compared to that standard. Jesus Christ is a standard of love that no marriage will ever satisfy or ever fulfill because he does for us what no marriage can and what no job can, what no other substitute can. That's the beauty of the gospel, that it settles that question of our worth and our importance in a way that nothing else ever will. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, you can take the next six weeks or the six weeks years that we're in and say, forget about it. Because it doesn't matter if you have a proper view of work, because if you don't have faith and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you can't see work as he sees it and you can't walk it out as he walks it out, because you're going to be looking for something from it that only he can provide you. Acceptance, belonging, worth, and dignity. Work provides those things as a secondary gift when you have a relationship with him primarily. If you don't have that relationship, or even if you have it, if you're looking for these things to be settled from your career or from a relationship, they're going to disappoint you every single time. And so let me say, as you think about the cause of work and your choice of work, don't chase a job for a paycheck, and don't chase a job just to prove your worth. Don't do it. So you look at a degree as you think, what's going to make me significant in the world's eyes? You will make a choice of a degree that probably won't actually end up satisfying you at all because it won't satisfy your need for worth. Only God can do that. And it doesn't occur because of work. It occurs because of relationship with him. So, don't chase a job for a paycheck. Don't chase a job to prove your worth. When you realize what the cause of work is, that it's not primarily about ourselves, all of a sudden we can begin to look at this issue of work and we can all of a sudden make a choice of work that's the right choice. So, how do you choose the right job for you? Ever wondered that question while you're in college? Of course you have, right? How do I know what job's for me? How do I know what God's doing in my life? How do I know where God's leading me in my life? I love the way Keller will sum this up in every good endeavor. He says, this is the question that you ought to be asking as you think about your work. How do you make a choice of work gone right? Here's the question. How with my existing abilities and opportunities can I be of greatest service to other people? Again, it's not about me. It's not about what I can get, but it's about what I can give to someone else. Knowing what I do of God's will and of human need. How with my existing abilities and my opportunities, As you begin to think about what the cause of work is, that it's about an opportunity and a venue to honor the Lord and an opportunity and a venue to bless everyone else in the city and the community that you're a part of, all of a sudden when you begin to see the cause of work in the right way, you can make a choice of work that will lead to satisfaction and fulfillment. Because you're going to ask the question and you're going to pursue work that answers that question. How do my abilities that God has given me and the opportunities that God has opened up for me begin to lead and begin to direct me into a path toward a vocation and a career that suits me. I love the way Frederick Buechner puts it. I think he puts it even better than Keller does here. This is what he says, and I love this quote. Speaking about how do I find the right fit or make the right choice of where he says this, that to believe that a wise and a good God is in charge of things implies that there's a fit between the things that need doing and the person I am meant to be. God leads you to the kind of work that you need most to do and that the world most needs to have done. And the place God leads you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's a great quote. (laughs) Love that quote. How do you find your vocational fit? How do you find where God's leading you in terms of a job and a career and a degree? You look for the colliding of two different rivers. One is, what does the world need that's one river. And the second river is how has God made you, equipped you, designed you? And where those two rivers collide, you find a fit and you find a spot. It may not be a narrow dot, but it may be a tightening of the river into a channel, into some options, okay? Not just one only option, all right? Like the, uh, and so how do you do that, though? I'll tell you guys, as I think about your generation, uh, it's interesting to me that I think with social justice that has arisen, uh, with social media that is dominating so much of what we see and we hear about the world, I think for you guys, as you think about these two rivers that come together, I think you are more aware as a generation of the world's great needs than you are of your personal design. I think you're more aware of the greatest needs of our culture and our world and large than you are of who you are and how God's made you at this age. That makes sense? And so what you're looking for as you think about your degree, your vocational fit, Is you're looking for where do these two rivers collide, and I think you're pretty aware of the river of the world's need. I think you're still trying to figure out who you are and how God's designed you and made you so that you can find where these two things collide. Last week, we ended the service looking at the fact that human creativity provides a wonderful demonstration of the dignity of work. And we ended up with a, uh, a commercial from Craftsman that said that you and I were made to make. Maybe not necessarily with tools, I and mean, we go out and build something in the backyard, all right? But that you and I, as those in the image of God, every single one of us is creative, Every single one of us was made to make something because we are in the image of the great creator God himself. So whether you feel creative or not, you are creative. And the question will be, in the midst of your life, what is it that God will lead you to have a vision for, to produce, or to create in the midst of your degrees and your vocation? What is that? For many of you, as we asked you that question, you said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he's made me to make. And I think the reason why many of you said, I don't know, is because you're aware of the world's needs, but you are not as aware of who you are and therefore how these rivers collide uniquely and personally for you. And so what I want to do this morning, if you guys walked in, you guys will notice there's a yellow sheet on your table for each of you guys individually, and so it's a two-sided sheet. As you guys walk out, I'm going to give you guys an idea and a suggestion that the first page, uh, that's a document, uh, the whole thing is a document that our leadership development pastor, Buck Anderson, has put together, and the front page is simply a worksheet that helps you begin to think through your abilities, your opportunities, your passions, and your visions, and some verses that develop those as well. Helping you think through, how has God made me? Not that it's selfish, not that it's about, hey, look at me, I'm awesome, all right? But it's a process under the rubric of wondering, how, do, how does my design fit with the world's need, and therefore, what's my career trajectory? It's not about, I'm amazing and I need to be special, but it's about thinking through, therefore, in light of how I'm made, in light of what the world needs, and where do these things corral and collide so that I can find and point, be pointed in a trajectory in terms of a career? The backside of that has a series of resources and even online assessment tools. And I, want to, I kind of boxed around for you a couple, but I want to highlight a couple different resources for you. That as you begin to think through and ask the question, how has God made me? How has God uniquely equipped me? How has God uniquely shaped and designed me for his purposes as a blessing in a vocation to the world? A couple of ways I'd encourage you guys to do that. A couple of different online assessment tools that I want to highlight for you. The first is that I'd encourage you guys today, take a spiritual gift profile. Uh, it's on that second. Page, it's on the back of that uh, handout. Uh, you simply go to that web address, and it will take you through a spiritual gift profile that will be incredibly helpful. And that God has arrayed His church body with a different set of gifts that every single one of us is unique, and every single one of us has a measure of His grace and His gifts. So the question is, how has He made you? I think that discussion and that process is exceedingly helpful, not just for you as you think about how to serve God within the church. But as you think about how to serve God outside the church as well, all right? Secondly, uh, another one that I think uh, that is fantastic is a thing called the Campbell Interest and Skill Survey. If you go to www.profiler.com, you follow the links, you're going to find a survey that you can take called the Campbell Interest and Skill Survey. It costs you $20. I'm just going to put that up front, okay? Uh, But it will help you uh, identify where are you uniquely interested and passionate, and then where do you have some unique abilities, and then as it highlights those, then it'll provide you some traction and, and some suggestions as to how to either develop some of these things or uh, how to avoid certain things. Like, maybe that's not for you. That's all right. You're never going to sing, Trey Corey, and that's okay. All right? Just roll with it, all right? Uh, so it'll help you understand, like, hey, here's where to move. Here's where to run away and flee and never think about again, all right? That's good, though. That's helpful. And it helps you begin to narrow in and zero in on how has God uniquely made you so that you can better answer the question, where can you be of the greatest contribution to the world at large? you think through how he's equipped and how he's gifted you. If any of you guys want to go through these two things and you will email me your test reports, uh, I would love to sit down and talk with them, talk you through them, and help you get a sense of where do I move next? What do I do? Our staff would love to help you with that as well. So if you want to do that, if you take the initiative to do it and you bounce it to me, let's get together. I would love to chat with you and love to talk through that with you, all right? here's the other thing. For some of you guys, an online assessment tool is really helpful. You may like that. You may like the anonymity of it, but for some of you, you're relational. You want to be with people, and that's fantastic. So I want to highlight a couple different opportunities for you. Uh, beginning on February 28th, for just two different Sundays, February 28th and March 6th, uh, our campus pastor at the Anderson campus, Zach Gazzo, and our pastor of leadership development who put together the document that you're looking at, Buck Anderson, are going to co-teach a class called Discover Your Ministry. And what they're going to try to do through that class and some of the assessment tools that they'll give is to help you start to get and answer the question, how has God uniquely made me? And the purpose of that is not just so that we can give you a series of roles within the church, <laughs> all right? We don't have enough roles within the church. <laughs> Your whole life isn't just within the church. What we want to help you think through is not just within the church, but even outside the church, how has he uniquely made you to be of the greatest contribution to the church and to the world, All right. That's what we want to start with you relationally in person next week. Uh, Actually, sorry, February 28th and March 6th, two different Sundays from 9 to 10.30 at our Anderson College Auditorium. You can go there. You can get back over here by 11 uh, for services as well as we continue on our series. But it would be fantastic for you to do. All right. I highly encourage it. Second thing I'd say for you guys, if any of you are thinking about full-time church work or parachurch work, uh, one of the things that we do, I think it's one of the greatest things that we do as a church is our Grace Fellows program. We ran a video, we announced this last week to you, and I feel great announcing this in a series in which we've been saying there's no more spirituality between the pastor and the engineer, right? But if you felt like what God's been doing through your college experience is kind of maybe beginning to lead you to explore what full-time church work looks like, not that it's more spiritual, not that it's more strategic than any other vocation or field, but if that's where he's been leading you uniquely, uh, then our Grace Fellows program is an opportunity for those that have graduated to work full-time with us for for two years, pick up seminary credit along the way, and to get a sense of how are they uniquely suited for full-time church work or parachurch work. I did it when I graduated way back when, and it was incredibly one of the most helpful things that I did, and I think as a church, it's one of the most helpful things that we do for those that are wrestling with that. I don't know how to provide an engineering experience for you. I know how to provide a church experience for you, right? So if that's kind of your trajectory, we'd love to help you with that. We'd love to help you think through that. So the other thing I'd say for you guys as you think about that is that those become some opportunities, and on the back of that sheet, there are personality profiles, there are books, there are resources that highlight this whole idea of determining your unique design and your unique gifting. It's not about being a self-absorbed, you know, uh, egotistical persona, okay? But it's about wrestling through your unique design so that you can understand how it fits with the world's needs, so that you can find your unique contribution to what the world needs most. How do those two rivers collide? the world's need, and your design so that you find your fit and your trajectory for a degree and a career. It can be one of the greatest processes you can work through, so don't uh, over, uh, don't look past it. Don't just kind of tuck it away and throw it away, but actually consider it. Take those tests, walk it through. We'd love to help you process because as we think about shepherding you, as we think about helping lead you, one of the things we want to do for you is help you find your pl- fit, your place, both in the church and in a career and be able to help speak into that, which is why we're doing this whole series, for you to think properly about work and how you look at it, and how you pursue it, and how it it ought to unfold, all right? When you and I begin to grasp, lastly, uh, the correct cause of work that is not primarily about ourselves, and then we also then begin to make the right choice of work, I think we also then can see the issue of competency in the right way. This is where I'm going to end for you guys this morning. This last quote, If the call of the Christian is to participate in God's ongoing creative process, then the bedrock of our ministry I love that he uses ministry because he's speaking about vocation and work and not just pastoral work. Because your work, if the cause is the benefit of everyone else, and then therefore it's a ministry as well, all right? Let's stop using such sacred, secular terminology. I like that he uses ministry here. The bedrock of that ministry has to be competency. We must use all our talents in as competent a manner as possible. If the cause of work It's not primarily about myself, but it's about the benefit of those around me that leads me to make a choice of work based on my unique design to be of the greatest blessing to everyone else. Then competency allows me to be of the greatest blessing. That competency is not a secular, it's not a God uh, disapproving kind of idea, but it's a, a great virtue because then your workplace becomes the very venue that you're worshiping God and you're blessing everyone else. Therefore, competency ought to be pursued and it ought to be chased. And therefore, you guys, as you look in a classroom setting right now, as you're looking at your university experience, you are in a training ground to develop your competency and skill set to be of the greatest benefit down the road. God cares about the classroom. God cares about your career. He cares about your workplace because it's the venue for you to worship him and bless everyone else. Therefore, competency is not a distraction, but it is a virtue, all right? Let me pray for us. Lord God, I thank you for your great uh, design of work, and I thank you for the great dignity that's attached to it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see it as you've unfolded it and to walk it out as you've desired it. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see the cause that's behind it and that you would help us as we begin to wrestle through what job is it that you have for us. Help us to make a choice of a job based on the need of the world and our unique design as you've gifted us and as you've equipped us, that we could be as competent in it as possible. Lord, may we honor you in the places that you've put us and may we worship you well, Lord. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. One last one last thing for you guys before we dismiss you guys to tables. I want to, some of you guys may know this, some of you guys may have heard through this kind of through the grapevine, uh, but it's interesting for me this passage and this topic because really thinking about unique design, unique gifting, and what how experience can shape that over time really even for me is leading to a job transition. Some of you guys may have heard this, some of you guys may know this already, but for those of you who haven't, I just want to help kind of unpack it for you. Uh, but it was some point over the summer where staff came to me, uh, our senior leadership here at Grace, and said, we're looking to do some things differently here at Grace and restructure some things. And so what would be of the greatest benefit for us as a church is that you would consider a job change, all right? Uh, it's interesting for me as that conversation came, because in the midst of even the summer, eight years being here at Southwood, nine years of being here as a college minister at Grace, college students for both Marcy and I are our single greatest passion We love students. We love what God does in your life. We love this stage of life unparalleled. And so even as that conversation came, it began to really cause a wrestling match for us, wrestling with what does God have for us? And what is God doing in our lives? And so really for me, looking at that discussion that was a specific scenario in which they asked me, would I potentially consider becoming the campus pastor here at Southwood, working alongside of Blake as our teaching pastor and helping oversee ministry, helping oversee facilities, budgets, and staff and personnel, I began to wrestle with, what does God have for me? And where is God leading our church? And what is God doing? And so as I kind of came out of that process of wrestling the summer, really, I kind of landed on these very quotes, these very ideas where could I be of the greatest benefit and how has God most uniquely gifted and suited me? And really for me in the midst of a passion that I still have for college students really kind of landed on, yeah, I think that job transition is the best need for our church and it's the best fit for my own gifts as I've seen them over the last eight years in ministry going, I think that'd be a better fit for me think that I could be of the greatest benefit in that role. And so I wanted you guys to know that since the fall, an email went out back in October, uh, some announcements have happened here and there. And so over the last fall and part of the spring, I've kind of been in a job transition as I've still been serving kind of as our college pastor, overseeing college ministry across our three sites, but also stepping into a new role as a Southwood, as a campus pastor here at Southwood. And so I wanted you guys to hear that because part of that transition will kind of hit a culmination on March 6th, that Sunday. Uh, As the guy that's going to come in behind me here at Southwood and lead our college ministry is a guy named Kevin Barra. Uh, You guys may have heard him preach back in the fall if you remember him. And he's an amazing communicator of the word. He loves college students. He's been serving as our youth pastor at our Anderson campus for quite some time. And so I think he's going to be an amazing fit for you guys. And so I wanted you guys to hear that. He's going to come in here on March 6th. We're going to have kind of a a formal baton pass moment between us. As a former cross-country guy, it seemed fitting for him, all right? So we'll see what we can cheese up and do up here uh, with a baton maybe, all right? Uh, But really, these eight, nine years for both Marcy and I here at Grace in college ministry has been some of the sweetest seasons of our marriage and some of the sweetest seasons of ministry. We have loved this. This has been my dream job. I've loved doing this. And so even transitioning through parts of some things this year has been some element of grief because I love what I've been able to do. I love leading and serving and walking alongside of you college students and also alongside these families that are leading you guys as well. And so it's been an absolute joy to be in this role. Uh, I'm excited for what I think God's going to do in the role that's to come, but I wanted you guys to hear that. So come March 6th when Kevin comes in and we kind of talk through a little bit more what's going to happen as he comes in behind me and takes over for college ministry here at Southwood. That's all I've known. Uh, I wanted you guys to know that for me personally. I I want to kind of like newsflash surprise you moment on March 6th. So so you guys have that, know that. If you want to talk, I'd love to talk more with you about it. But uh, I'm excited for you guys with Kevin coming in. I'm also excited to serve in a new role here at Grace because it seemed like that's what God has for me and for us. And so I'm excited about that, but also sad as well a little bit. So anyways, you guys have a great table time. We'll talk more about some of that come March 6th. All right. Love you guys.